Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. We are thankful that kings and kingdoms will pass away, but Christ will not. Amen? Amen. Man, that was a sweet time of worship. And again, worship is designed to prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's word. And this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our summer series called God's Heart, Our City. And if you're a first-time guest with us, I want to just welcome you. Even though you're coming in on the last week of this series, I'm excited for you to hear today's message because it's going to tie it all together And uh, each week uh, we've had, um, throughout the summer, we've had some special guest speakers. But this morning is not a a special guest. Uh, It's one of our pastors. But uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, some of you who are new, I mean, we've just been noticing as uh, pastors uh, just so many new faces in our congregation. And uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, you knew who was preaching to you this morning. And uh, it's one of our pastors and elders here at the church, Pastor Matt McCollins. Would you guys welcome up Pastor Matt? Thank you. So, <clears throat> Pastor Matt and I go way back when I started coming here 20 years ago as a college student. I served as an assistant to his D team in middle school cause. Discipleship team is that, what D team means. That's what that means. And uh, when I joined the staff uh, seven years ago, uh, Pastor Matt was one of the pastors that has just helped raise me up, and I'm so thankful for him. And there's a verse that comes to mind, um, a verse that uh, I know you know. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Uh, Pastor Matt is gifted in many ways, but one of the things that I appreciate the most is your commitment to faithful biblical teaching. So let me pray for you. Thank you. And uh, buckle up. Father God, I just thank you for this man. I thank you for his friendship, his brotherhood, and the opportunity to hear him now deliver your word. I pray for clarity as he preaches to you, uh, from you to our people, what you've laid on his heart this week. God, we know uh, that your word does not return void, and so we ask that you would use the words through Pastor Matt to minister to every heart, both here in the room and those watching online. We pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Thank you, Pete. It has been a joy to serve with him, to have him come back from Idaho and be with us has been uh, awesome. True? Love that guy. So here's the thing. Last week I had to get up at the end because we ended like at 1040. And if you remember, I said, I love you all. Please leave. I hope you came back. But the reality is we do love you and, and I make a commitment to you. He, he said, buckle up. It's actually in my notes. It's so funny you just said that. Because what I was going to say is, buckle up. We're not going to go past 35 minutes. We're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember that Christ's body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. And we're going to do that at the end of this sermon. And take that super serious. Because he's coming soon. And we're supposed to do it according to the scripture until he comes. So my goals this morning for today is to present God's heart for the lost and the broken. For those of us in the room or watching out yonder that, that are walking strong with Christ, the Spirit of God's flowing through you. you. You are engaging the gifting that God has blessed you with through his Spirit, that he's called you to. You, you've engaged that to reach into God's word and to energize us to be a part of that. 
For those of you in the room that are struggling, you know Christ, but you're dried out. You're hurting. You find yourself distant. The Spirit of God, he's there, but you've been resisting. The goal is to get into God's word and have you refreshed, to water where you're at, to have, no longer have you dried out, but to catch fire for God. And then for those of you that have come, you're investigating Christ. You don't know if you even believe any of this. You've come to investigate for you to hear that there's a God that loves you in the midst of where you're at right now. In this world, it is messed up. Anybody notice that? Sin did that. Missing the mark. God's called us to do or God's told us not to do. And we as humans we don't do, and then we, do, we end up doing, and it's called sin, missing the mark. And in the midst of that, this world is screwed up because of that, and we, in our humanness, can find ourselves messed up because of that. And if you don't know Christ yet, what he wants to do, as we're going to celebrate this at the end, is wash you clean to make you white as snow, to have you know that there's a creator that loves you and wants you to have a close abiding relationship with him where you produce fruit that brings the father glory. It's my goals for this morning. And then I said, buckle up. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, awesome God, I thank you for this morning. We're going to look into your word. And as Pete just said, it doesn't come back void. So as we are in your word, may it be that as we engage the text, that we do stop and contemplate what it's saying to us to the individual, to me, to, to, to you. God, flow through us so that we might have that abiding relationship that you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Eight years ago, Lori and I were at the Oregon Gardens with our grandkiddos. They were digging dinosaur bones in the sand pit for the kids. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're digging up dinosaur stuff. And my phone rang, and it was a young man who had been coming to the Most Excellent Way, our, our Victory Over Addiction group. This is eight years ago. And, and he, had served, he had served in our military in Iraq. He had come back to go to college. He had fallen into a marijuana addiction. He had become, I can't go into all the detail, take too long, but started coming to the Most Excellent Way to get help with that. He came to believe on Christ fully, and he was experiencing victory. What marijuana had done to him, the THC in marijuana, had triggered schizophrenia. So what had happened was he started smoking pot to try to calm himself down, but what it didn't do is calm him down. What it brought is all kinds of anxieties as he heard voices to harm himself and others, to do things that he knew was wrong. He had been experiencing victory, but on that particular day at the Oregon Gardens, he called me paralyzed on the side of I-5, driving his car. The voice was telling him to drive into oncoming traffic, to kill himself and to harm others. As I sat there, I, I, I thank goodness, I don't have my phone with me, but I thank goodness for these little contraptions because there at Oregon Gardens, I was able to pull up Romans chapter 8. I was able to pray with him. We read through Romans chapter 8 together. I prayed with him. We talked about there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, nothing. Not angels, death, life, nothing. Nothing. He calmed down. We were able to get him some support. We got him home. He came, we, we met before he came back to the most excellent way. And I said, what, I asked him this simple question. Did you start smoking pot again? Yeah, but pastor, they legalized it. You know, th here's the thing. What I said to him was, now the THC in pot, man, it's triggering the voices. 
it doesn't matter whether it's legal or not. The THC is still there. You know that gambling's legal. People lose their paychecks every week. Destroy their lives. It's legal. Drinking is legal. It's as legal as you get, right? The most dangerous drug in all the world, and people argue with me, no, Matt, it's heroin. No, the most dangerous drug is the one that destroys the most lives. Alcohol destroys more lives around the world than any other drug in this world. Totally legal. You know that committing adultery in America, according to America, is legal. Living with your boyfriend, living with your girlfriend, legal. But when those relationships blow up, the devastation, Jesus meets you in it. Having sex before marriage, legal. When the relationship blows up, Jesus meets you in it. We get dried out doing things that God says not to do. We get dried out not doing what God's called us to do. And Psalm 32 helps us there. So I share, we're working through this. And then he, he said, you're right. And he repented. And you know what he did? He called him going back, himself going back to marijuana. You know what he called it? Sin. I missed the mark. We prayed together, he called it sin, and he stopped. I got the privilege, Lori and I, to do the premarital with his fiance and him. Premarital counseling. I got the privilege of doing his wedding. They have two kiddos. It's a good job. We had breakfast about a year and a half ago. He and I ended up meeting for breakfast, and he said to me, Pastor, remember the day you said to me, God doesn't bless disobedience? I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, that has stuck with me. You know that you can experience what you think is blessing in the midst of your disobedience. You can actually experience where you have a good job, where it seems like the relationship's going well. You can experience all kinds of good in this world system that Satan and the cronies energize. I said, buckle up, because it's true. You can experience what you think is God's blessing in the midst of being trapped in your own addictions. And addiction doesn't just look like heroin or alcohol or gambling or pot. Addiction can look like bitterness. I have stuff that runs in my head, and I'm addicted to the negativity that flows through my brain. It amps me up. I need to go to God with that. The, you know, addiction can look like working 80 hours a week so that you can afford X, Y, and Z. Addiction can look like a lot of things because we humans have a great job. We do a wonderful job of putting something in front of a relationship with God. Worshiping something other than him. Name what it is. It can be a person, a relationship. It can be a lot of different things. He said, do you remember when you told me that God doesn't bless disobedience? yeah, I remember that. Stuck with me. His whole life has been transformed. Not the same person. It's awesome. God did that. All I did was shared God's word with him. And things changed. Your introduction says this on your sheet if you're able to pick up the notes. God's heart for Salem, for Oregon, for the United States, and for the whole world is put on display all throughout the scriptures. As we consider how to reach the unsaved with the gospel, but also the prodigal with that same gospel. Psalm 32 is a great place to land as we wrap up our series. The heart to reach those in addiction, to reach those who struggle with mental illness, those who need counseling, to reach the homeless, the heart to help the pastor and his congregation finish strong. 
all comes from God through people like you and me that are spirit-led and have been discipled themselves in God's word. We as a body of believers will only go as deep as we understand God's will for us from his word and then obey him. I do agree, Jesus, Jesus, what a powerful name, right? But if you say Jesus and you don't obey him, you don't love him. Jesus said that. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, John 14. Then you get into John 15. If you keep my commandments, you prove that you love me. He hits you with both sides of that coin. That young man and I, when we had breakfast and he said, do you remember that? And I said, yeah, I do remember that. He learned to start keeping God's commandments. Not out of a legalistic way, but to stay close and abide in him. Because Jesus said, abide in me and and me and you, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we're not, we've got to get right because there was a man named David. Here's your big thought for the day. There's a man named David who, who got this wrong. You're only as deep, folks, you and I, me. I'm preaching this to me. I had to work through this for several months getting ready for this, okay? You're only as deep as you are obedient to what you already know. Somehow thinking that, you know what, if I can just get deeper, then I'll be more obedient. Now, we're only as deep as what we're obedient to that we already know to do from God's word. David draws you in in Psalm 32 with mercy, and then he gives you a personal testimony. Now, here's the thing about David. David, as that shepherd boy staring up at the stars, contemplating God, writing scripture, writing things like the heavens declare the glory of God. What are you that you even think about me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, my Lord, my rock, and my salvation. He wrote things like that. David, has Samuel come to him and anoint him king? Nobody expected that. Dad didn't even bring him in. Go back and read First and Second Samuel. Going through David's life is an amazing journey of humanness and God intersecting it. He's made king, anointed king, but he's got to run in the desert for about nine years before he becomes king. He didn't become king of Judah until he was 30 years old. He didn't become king of all of Israel until he was 37 years old. He fell with Bathsheba at around 50 years old. David. This picture of humanness. As the king of Israel, Deuteronomy said, as you come back here to the five books, the Pentateuch, that he was supposed to have written out for himself. David, as the king, was supposed to have written it all out for himself and keep it close. It says in there that the king of Israel in Deuteronomy is not to multiply wives to himself. By the time he came in to get his kingdom, he already had multiple wives. God was forbearing. God was patient. God is a man after God's own heart. He then ruled for 13 years after he came to be full king of Israel. And then he saw Bathsheba bathing. And that's when he called for her to come up, knowing it was Uriah's wife, his buddy, that helped him get through those nine years in the desert. That was also, by the way, Bathsheba's dad was one of his mighty men also. Bathsheba's grandfather was Ahithophel, his right-hand confidant. Ahithophel was David's Judas. When you read the Psalms and you see, my close friend betrayed me, he's talking about Ahithophel. That's Bathsheba's grandfather. Makes you wonder why Ahithophel was so embittered toward David. Huh? 
the consequences of it all. And then we come to Psalm 32. Nathan, after six months of him lying on the throne, comes and confronts him. And he writes this later as he's been exposed. How joyful is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. As transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whom spirit there is no deceit. He draws you in with mercy. God's mercy. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groanings all day long. For the day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Salah. Salah means stop. Contemplate what I just wrote to y'all. He's writing it down, but he expects somebody to read it. And he's saying, okay, reader, stop and think about what I just said. How joyful is that one whose transgressions are forgiven. You know that David believed in Jesus? Go back and read if you want to write this down, Psalm 22. They pierce my hands and my feet. They all stare at me. All my bones are out of joint. They cast lots for my clothing. David wrote about Jesus' experience on the cross a thousand years before it happened. He believed that there was going to be a Savior coming through him one day. He believed in that Savior, and that belief in 33 AD, when Jesus cried out at his finish from the cross, stamped David clean because of his belief. All the way back down to Adam, all the way forward to that last human being before he comes back. It is finished. I'm telling you, he's saying, look, I knew the right I ought to do, and I got shallow. And then I got confronted by a godly man, and I confessed its sin. And then God forgave me. I killed my wife's hydrangea. I killed it. She brought it home. She's a school teacher. And uh, she brought it home, and I said, I'll plant that for you. I set it in the flower bed, and I forgot about it. And I came out. That's not the actual hydrangea. I was not proud of what I did. That's a picture of a dead hydrangea off the internet. I took it. Because I'd forgotten about it, I took it to the side of the house and I'm going to throw that in the yard debris. And then I had a thought, wait, what if I just throw some water on it? So I threw some water on it and I went to work. Then I went home and I threw some more water on it. And this next picture is what it turned into. So I started throwing water on it. And the thing about it was, now that pot, Greg and Val Noltz gave us that pot years and years ago. And then Gus broke the pot. Yeah. So I had this broken pot, this cracked vessel that's sitting there doing nothing because we've got a cracked pot. And I've got this plant that I'm starting to water and I saw just a little bit of green come off of one little stem. And so I took it and I filled the pot with good dirt and I stuck that plant in it and I put it and then I keep watering it every day. And that's just a couple days ago. And that cracked vessel holding that plant together. It's beautiful what a little water will do. What begins the watering for somebody who's dried out? Confession. Look what, look what David says next. David decided to do something, and God tells us, you know, tells us what God did as a result. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, God, forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you know that we will not have a heart for this city, this county? This state, this nation, this world, unless it's the Spirit of God doing it through us. 
Do not try to pull this off, what we're talking about, in your flesh. You will not be able to. You'll get discouraged and disillusioned. Matter of fact, you might have all kinds of thoughts going off in your head saying, why do these folks just focus on that we got to reach our city? We don't just focus on that. We focus on discipleship here. We want to see you grow. We want you watered with good soil that you'll bear much fruit for your Savior, for the Father's glory. That's what we want. We do that, and then we look out, and we say, okay, God, as people have the fruit coming off of them, let's go reach the lost. Because there's people in the city, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Oregon, there's a lot of unsaved folk. They need Christ. And then in the midst of that, as we're doing that, we make disciples, and that's what Jesus' last command was. But we can't do that without his spirit doing it through us. And I can't do it personally. Maybe you can. No, you can't. If you got sin in your life. Maybe the sin in your life isn't one of these addictions. We're talking about addiction and these different things. Maybe the sin in your life, you're just apathetic. You just don't care. I did a James study years ago, and a guy had the integrity to say this at the end of chapter 2 when we studied chapter 2. And in chapter 2, it says, don't tell somebody who's homeless, who doesn't have food or shelter or clothing, I'll be warm and be fed, you know, good on you, I'm praying for you, without meeting their need. Give, Give them some water, give them some food, give them some shelter, give them some clothing, help them. Don't do that. We got to the end of that lesson, and he looked at me, and he goes, Matt, this is before I was a pastor, by the way. He says, Matt, what if my problem is I just don't care? I'm apathetic. I look at that and go, I don't care. I went, you know what? I really appreciate your honesty. Let's call that sin. Let's do it, because you're missing the mark, because obviously God cares. He just told you what to do, and you don't want to do it. You just don't care. So let's call it sin. Let's pray. And why don't you ask God for the want to want? That guy has now mentored three different guys from the UGM. That guy's life has been transformed. But he had some stuff that he had to do business with God on. Because he, he didn't, his, his lack of caring wasn't a result of him just not being a good Christian. His lack of caring was there was sin in his life that he needed to address and get taken care of. So that the spirit of God might flow through him to produce fruit that looks like taking guys from the UGM, mentoring them once a week and getting them all the way through to where you now have become somebody in their life, this cracked pot coming alongside a dried out plant that ends up with just some water coming from God on it and changes everything. But he needed to get real, and, I, and he did. And I was really proud of the dude for saying, hey, I don't care. Okay, thank you. Call it what it is, and now let's ask for the want to want. David speaks then after that statement of I've acknowledged my sin, you've forgiven it. He speaks to what we should do and about God's loving protection. Verse eight or verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Isn't that good? It's not a matter of if the floodwaters are coming. The floodwaters are coming. How close do you want to be to God when the floodwaters come? It's like James chapter 1. Trials are coming. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result that you might be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. The trials are coming, folks. It's not a matter of if. It's how close are you to God when they come so that you might grow from it rather than retreat from God and dry out from it. That, that's, that's what scripture says. Therefore, it says, let everyone who is faithful to you immediately, that's 
today. The beauty of the term immediately is yesterday is gone, tomorrow isn't here yet. Immediately means today. If you hear my voice, don't harden your heart, David said in one of his Psalms. God says, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Yield to me. The most joy you'll ever have in this life is being in the center of my hand, in the center of my will, with my spirit flowing through you. The most joy and the most productive life is right there. And if you know Jesus, he said, no one can snatch you out of his hand. And he and the Father are one, and no one can snatch you out of their hands. That kind of security. But we can, we can get screwed up in our heads because of sin. Do you know that when David made the deck, so, so Uriah, David sleeps with Uriah's wife. She gets pregnant. He hands a note to Uriah. Go back and read this. It's malice. It's evil intent from God's man. The note says, Joab, send him to the front line, have him killed. So what does Joab do? Go back and read this. Joab sends Uriah to the front line, but he can't just go, Uriah, you go forward. Everybody else stay here. We're going to get him killed. No, he sends other guys with Uriah. Okay, you men, I want you to go there. They all die. There were wives, dads, moms, brothers, sisters, friends, all grieving men dying in battle. And the only reason they died is because David wanted Uriah dead. That kind of sin. And Uriah died. God forgives that. Will you confess it as sin? I don't know if any of you have pulled that on God lately. That seems really... But what is it that we need to take to him? He wants to hear you. He loves you. He'll meet you right where you're at, just like David. He'll meet you in your malice. He'll meet you in, in all of it if you'll call it what it is and let him flow through you. But we can't reach anybody unless that's happening. And when, is, when should we do that? Today. Don't wait. Because then it says, you're my hiding place. You'll protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts. He wrote that after he confessed his sin. And God met him there. Your creator now speaks in the text of what he will do for you. Because David didn't write this down just for himself. He wrote this down by means of the spirit of God for you today in August of 2022. It's for you. Insert your name. It's for you and me. By the way, Jesus from the cross says it is finished for you. And Jesus from the cross says, you know, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. It is finished. Jesus from the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Directing you all to go back to read Psalm 22 that says, they pierce my hands and my feet. They stare at me. All my bones are out of joint. David's writing about a Messiah who will come. Jesus is teaching from the cross for you to go back to Psalm 22 and see that a thousand years before he went to the cross for you, it was all written out by David of what was going to happen. Go back and check it out. It's mind boggling. It's awesome. Now your creator speaks to you about his grace, but he also tells you what not to do. Now, catch this, David, I got something for you, God says. I will counsel, I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye upon you. I will give you counsel. That's for you. You get real with God. He will instruct you in the way you should go with his eye upon you and give you counsel. Many people don't like the fact that God's eye is upon them. That's why a lot of things get done at night. 
Scripture says that. A lot of sin gets done at night because you think you're covering it, but God actually sees through the nighttime, and he actually sees it all and still loves you and is saying, hey, that's just going to really screw your life up. I'm not a giant killjoy. I'm just telling you that eventually it all comes apart, and when it does, I'm here for you. How about you come to me before it all comes apart? How about you come to me immediately today before it all comes apart? Because some of us know right now that when you're, taking, when you're taking that pill that you know you shouldn't be taking, you're taking too much of it, when you're taking that, you know eventually this is all going to come apart. When you're drinking yourself to sleep at night, you know eventually this is all going to come apart. When, when, you're, when you're flirting at work or when you're with that person, whatever it is, you know deep inside, if, you, if you're saved, the Spirit of God is prompting you, you go, this is going to come apart, this is bad, don't go here. He's not a giant killjoy. As a matter of fact, he, he brings the greatest joy when we get into the center of his will by calling what it is it, you know, sin. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to instruct you with my eye upon you. I'm going to counsel you all the way home. I'm coming soon. We're going to celebrate that. I will instruct you and show you the way you should go. With my eye upon you, I will give you counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else... It will not come to you. He told you what he'll do for you, and he said, stop being like that. Today, call it what it is, and let me, let me guide you. Walk alongside me. Don't make me drag you. I can get you there. I'll get you there if you make me drag you. But it's going to hurt. Because, only because you just resist me. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surround him. Truth. It's only a matter of time if we act in malice or we're doing stuff that we think God, God has said don't do that or God has said do this and we ignore him on both ends. It's only a matter of time till pain comes and it's not because God wants you to experience that pain. It's because you bring it on you. That, that's the problem. I bring it on me. But then he says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is a guy that murdered people whose heart's completely changed because he confessed and he got close to God. I love that, by the way. It's what really, it, it's what drives me to work with people in addiction. But do you all know that we're all just a bunch of little children in adult suits sitting here right now together? We're all just a bunch of little kids in adult suits. And do you all know that addiction doesn't just look like heroin? It looks like whatever it is I want to do instead of having a close relationship with God. Now, this is supposed to be about, but Matt, this is supposed to be about God's heart, our city. It starts with just my heart before God. I'm never going to have a heart for this city if I'm not close to him. I won't care. I got other stuff to be about. But if I'm close to him, I'll see things the way he. You know, the Philippians 1.6 says, let this mind be in you, which was first in Christ Jesus. Let it happen. Get everything out of the way of that happening. Your greatest joy is going to be there. God takes beautifully broken people who he has healed and uses them to reach the dying and the dried out. He loves to take beautifully broken, cracked vessels with a message inside them to broken, dried out, dying people to see them experience the life change and the, and the beauty of what he has for them as they now come to their creator rather than running behind bushes away from him. Adam taught us to do that. 
You sinned? Go hide. Started right there. Jesus came to undo, according to Romans chapter 5, to undo what Adam did so that you can go straight to God with everything now and never hide again. This hydrange is in our backyard. Gus has changed a lot. He just became sane. He turned three. That hydrangea was the same size as the hydrangea that I showed you that I killed and then is back to life. That hydrangea was planted in 1993, same size when we planted it. You know all we did? We put it in the ground with a little fertilizer and we kept watering it. It now impacts the whole backyard. It's beautiful. Gus lies underneath that. As we're picking raspberries and blueberries in our backyard, Gus goes and lays in that shade. He can't knock it over. The beauty of that is God loves to take beautifully broken people to come alongside the dried out, the dying, the lost, the struggling, and bring them together. And as time unfolds, the beauty of what God does. You guys like my coat? I just bought it. I was walking through uh, Kohl's and I looked up and I saw it and I went, I like that coat. Lori, do you like that coat? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Do you like it? Sure. So buy it, bring it home. She comes in the room. I'm getting ready with, you know, getting my stuff together. She comes in the room laughing and she goes, I know why you like that coat. And I said, what do you mean? I like the coat because I like the coat. She goes, no, no, no. And she brings a pillow from our couch and it's the same. (laughs) Thank you for that truth, sweetie. Actually, what went off in my head was, no, you didn't. You did not just do that to me just now. I'm still wearing it. Here's the thing. God wants us to have joy, folks. He wants us to have joy. Are you rejoicing that your sins are completely forgiven today? Today. Are you rejoicing that you can have a relationship with God like David describes today? If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you haven't been, he doesn't want you any longer dried out, distant. If you you have that joy, he has something for you to do. If you have that joy, he wants you to have his heart for this body of believers or the church that you go to normally, or if you don't go to church yet, he wants to have you come to know Christ, and then he's going to gift you for the, for the body of Christ. And then as that unfolds and you grow and you keep changing over the years, you will impact your city, your county, your state, your nation, this world. It will happen because his heart will flow through you. It will happen. Will you let it? If you don't have that joy yet, ask for it. Like I said to that man years ago, how about you just ask for the want to want? How about you go into your room and close the door and pray to your father in secret? Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 6. How shall we pray? Well, go into your room, close the door, pray to the father in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will openly reward you. How about you just do that? How about you go get secret with him and tell him what's been getting in the way? Call it what it is and let the joy of the Lord start to flow through you. Because it'll bear all kinds of fruit. You'll never regret that, by the way. You'll never regret going there. 
David was God's man on this earth. He was God's man. He was a representative of God on this earth as a king of Israel. He was supposed to lead and protect Israel, but he had decided to stay home when his men at 50 years old were going to go off to war. He shirked his responsibility, and it ended in tragedy. Now, the key was he could only go as deep as he was obedient. And David went from huge depth to absolutely shallow very quickly. The pain of the prodigal journey brought him back to the Savior. Catch that when you go back. And so in the midst of that, as we wrap this up, I don't know, some of you may be prodigals in this room right now, or you're listening later or right now, you're off, you're listening. But the reality is he's saying, don't wait any longer, take care of this, I want to bring you joy And so David wrote this to help us understand that God's forgiveness, instruction, protection, and God's spirit-led joy reside in the midst of us just getting very real with him, calling it what it is, and letting something very beautiful happen. And until we do that, for those of us that are dried out, we will not bear fruit. But boy, today's the day. I'm going to ask the uh, music team to come forward as we get ready to partake of the elements. I love studying the life of David. It's been something that I've been doing for years. You can go back and read his life in 1 and 2 Samuel. You can go back and read his journey as he's writing things down that God prompted him to write in the Psalms. You can see in the New Testament, all through the New Testament, how that that journey of David and what God did in his life, how it impacted the Apostle Paul or, or the writer of Hebrews. The beauty of a life, a cracked vessel that God comes in and brings life into that cracked vessel can then come alongside others that are dying, that are dried out. Let's pray. Thank God for this time. Father, awesome God, I thank you so much for this time together with these precious folks and for those who are watching now or listening later. Thank you for your word. Boy, Lord, for any of us that are struggling, just meet us right now. As, as the truth went forth, your word went forth, may it be like, like my buddy said, we just get it. We just heard it. Like there's no blessing outside of obedience to you. And so Lord God, help us to, to have the want to want for some of us, to stay strong for some of us, or, or some in the room or watching who don't know Christ yet to receive this salvation so that they can get washed clean. This world is so screwed up that they can experience this joy of a close abiding relationship with their savior. Though our sins were as scarlet, you washed them white as snow. Thank you. We're going to celebrate that right now. Pray this in Jesus' name.